my first summer job, which he helped create, was when I was 15. Okay. So he owned a, a transportation company, like a, they call it a freight forwarding company. So not a shipping company, but they, they're a logistics organizer and stuff. And part of the company was a moving section, so where they helped people that were moving overseas, right? thought about you as someone that's so involved with the community that you're in. You've always been really involved in part of it's because of the business that you have. Yep. That you're part of. But part of it's just because of the kind of person you are. There are other people in those businesses yeah. that aren't involved with their community. True. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you've been yeah. a big part of it. Yeah. And I want to thank you for coming here. Appreciate that. Yeah. Really, Good to really see great. you. Good to see you too because you've left Japan now. Yeah. You're not here anymore. Yeah. How many years did you spend? So how many years did you spend here? So I arrived in October 98 and uh, left in March 2020. So 20, okay. just almost 22 years. So Right, that's yeah. right, that's right, that's right. Long ride. And that was all with Asian, Asian Tigers? Tigers? Yeah. Yeah. And you were always the head the of head Asian the company. Tigers? Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was, it was, it was. There were a lot of different things that were resembled firsts here in Japan. So I, I've been in a moving business my whole career. So that started back when I uh, was in my early 20s. So I started in Canada, which is where I was born. Uh, okay. Born in Eastern Canada. My parents are both Dutch. Uh, they migrated to Canada uh, at the tender age of was either 18 or 19, something like that. My, my dad didn't want to go into the military, which was a required service back at, at the time. So okay. he was sitting there going, okay, well, how can I dodge this? And you mean in Canada? In, no, in, in Holland. In Holland? In Holland, okay. yeah. So he had to go into the so military. Did, so that's how he came to Canada. Canada. Yeah. So he went there because his sister had moved there because wait, she... Wait, wait, wait. Was he Was he Vietnam era? No, no, no. So yeah, my, my dad, well, my dad, if he was still alive, he'd be 83. Yeah. Okay. So, so he was, yeah, yeah. 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 So this was like post World War II era. Yeah, it would yeah. have to be. Yeah. yeah. He yeah. would have missed so, World War Two. Yeah. So well, he lived. He was lived through World War Two. Oh, I know, but yeah. he, he yeah. wasn't old enough to go into it. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so parents moved to Canada. I was born in Canada. Uh, sister was born in Canada. We lived uh, initially in Montreal, in the far east side of Canada. You first. You're the first child. I was the first child. How many Correct. years difference between you and your sister? Me and my sister were four years apart. Are you guys so, close? Yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty good, pretty good. Well, like lots of siblings, I guess you have your ups and downs and stuff like that. Okay. So, but yeah, I, I would say we, we became a lot closer together after we became adults. So, okay. you know, but uh, I yeah. she's going to see this. Huh? She's going to see this. Well, she'll, she'll probably agree with a lot of it. You know, <laughs> okay, so. okay, all right. <laughs> And then uh, Mont Montreal was uh, part of the French-speaking part of Canada at the time. And uh, sorry, I'm now I'm getting into a whole bunch of stuff that okay. maybe isn't too too relevant. But uh, yeah. the uh, there was a lot of political tension back in in Quebec at that time, right? Okay. Because a, a separatist movement that uh, the French-speaking part of Canada, the province of Quebec, wanted to separate from what Canada. What are we talking about? That would have been in the late 60s. Separate. Well, this has happened a couple times, but this That's was right. in, the er in the early years, right? So, and that, that mushroomed into, I think the political violence happened after that. But anyway, uh, I was attending a French, sorry, an English-speaking elementary school in uh, 1969, and they had, if I'm correct, I think they ended up having 
two bomb scares at my elementary school. So there was, I think there was an initial one, and then when the second one happened, that's when my dad said, that's it, we're, we're getting out of here. So he was... But well, you never learned to speak French, or did you? Uh, I think I spoke a reasonable amount of French at the beginning, because in, in the early art, you actually, went in my very young years, I actually was multilingual, because I spoke uh, Dutch, because my parents were Dutch. The area of Montreal we were living in was actually Italian-speaking, so at the age of four, I actually spoke uh, Italian pretty fluently because I was hanging out with all the kids there. French as well, because uh, I think there were more French people in that area than English-speaking people. So my weakest language at the age of four was English. Okay. And my mom said the main reason you understood English at least a little bit was from watching television, like okay. watching cartoons and stuff. Right. But then that all shifted when we moved. From the age of four, we moved to an English-speaking uh, suburb within Montreal. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Italian is gone. Right. Maintain the Dutch. I, I can right. still get and by you a little to bit do French. Well, everybody that goes to school in Canada, and depending on the province you're in, you would have uh, that was a required subject. Okay. So I continued to take French until I finished. Uh, I, I think it, when I was going to school, I had to continue doing it till I was uh, finished grade ten. But because I was quite good at it, I continued doing it till the end of high school. Oh, so, so you speak French, okay? Well. A long time ago. A long time ago. So, Are your yeah. mom and dad doing okay now? So they uh, they, they actually divorced when uh, my sister and I were growing up. So mm -hmm. my uh, it was an unusual situation. They actually ended up, my mom ended up taking my sister. So they lived separately and I, my dad and I lived together. So it was like the odd couple, my dad and, my dad and myself. Fortunately, How old were you when that happened? Uh, I would have been uh, 11. Okay. Something like that. So my sister was seven, so it affected her a lot more than me. I was already kind of mature enough, I guess, to, to, to understand what was going on at the time. So, But my parents, even though the family was separated, we always lived very close to each other. So that any time I wanted to go over and walk to see my sister at, at their house or vice versa, that was fine. And we always made a uh, plan to get together for birthdays and for Christmas which in the later years also started to include the, either the boyfriends and girlfriends of my parents or eventually their spouses. So it did actually, they, it, they, it, it was about as uh, amicable a divorce right. as you could do. But did either of them have kids, more kids? No, no, no. So you're the only two kids between your two parents? Correct. And they Correct. never had other kids? They never had other kids. Are they yeah. still doing well? Are they alive? So my dad actually passed away at a, at a young age, okay. uh, accident, so that was, uh, quite tragic and a big, big, big shock to my sister and I at the time. Uh, but my mom's still doing really, really well. So how old were you when your father passed? I was uh, 94. Oh, so you were the house. So I was uh, 32. Okay. I had moved a year before that happened to Singapore. So I wasn't, I wasn't even in Canada when, uh, when he passed. So, um, but yeah, so, and, but mom's still doing well. I, unfortunately, I haven't seen her now for three years because of no COVID has, traveling, but it looks like we're going to be trying to get over there in October. So how old so. is your mom now? She's 83. 83. Yeah. Doing and, well. Uh, very well. She got remarried, but her second husband passed away Twelve years ago, so she's been on her own, but she's a real okay. independent woman and stuff. She like might that. see this, so you can say hello to your mom. That'd be great. Hey, mom, <laughs> I'm on TV. 
or something like that. It's something more like a podcast. So my, my mom actually visited Tokyo numerous times over the years. Yeah, she loved coming here, right? And, and because, well, in particular after um, her second husband passed away, right? Because in, in the latter years, his, his health was uh, made it a challenge to try and get away. So mm -hmm. she wasn't able to do that. But after he passed away, so she'd come for like a month at a time. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and because not that many of my friends had parents that would make the journey over from wherever they were living, uh, then my mom sort of became the surrogate mom for a whole uh, bunch of people. people. Yeah, so, so we would have a, 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 a boy's dinner once a month. This is my golf group, right? So mm -hmm. we're in, uh, and so my mom to this day is the only female that has ever been allowed to attend one of those dinners is because of the fact it was a great opportunity for everybody to spend some time with her. So yeah, yeah. so she, she loved it. Let's so. get into you as a kid. When you were a kid, were yeah. you more academic or were you more sports-minded? I'm talking uh, elementary. Elementary school. Hmm. Probably more academic, but not seriously academic. I feel, I feel quite fortunate because I, I was relatively smart, quick as a kid, especially with math. I remember, I don't know, some, some of the early years in, in school when the teacher's doing stuff up on the board and you made a mistake there. And uh, yeah, so that was quite funny. So so you were the one. Yeah. You were the guy in the back. There was <laughs> not, 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 not heckling. Not heckling. Just, but you were correct. Yeah. And they didn't like that. Yeah. I, th I think I th that's just one of those vivid <laughs> memories. And I, I, I seem to recall that, that that teacher was the piano teacher and, and a math teacher. And I go, well, clearly. Hopefully your piano teaching ability is a little bit superior, right? So, uh, but you know, young kids, so I used to ride my bike a lot, would play soccer. I, I tried tried uh, multiple sports, like team sports when I was younger. I tried doing soccer. I did that for a couple of years, but it was always in the winter, so it was always cold and rainy. And okay, okay. I remember my mom one day when I came off the field and she goes, have you had enough? And I go, yeah, like, I, I, I don't know. Other guys, if they love playing soccer, but I go for me, I go. I don't love it enough to be like. So, were you really in books? You read a lot. Uh, actually, I, I don't recall that. I don't you think know, that that was a big thing. Anything. No, I, I was I was a real outdoor kid. Like okay. I, I loved just being outdoors and on my bike and running around. You had a lot of friends. Did you get yeah, it, it and it and it's interesting. I don't know how common that was, but it seemed like th over the years. I mean, it was a big adjustment moving to Vancouver because I was in grade two, so I was seven years old. So suddenly you went from having no friends to, or sorry, having. A bunch of friends to having no friends, and you're in in a, in a new city. Okay, right, when we right, when right. we moved to Vancouver, and then I don't know. Every year, the profile of the the classes I was in changed a little bit, even though it wasn't that big of a school. Mm -hmm. But my my friends, some of the friends remained the same, but some of them changed year by year by year, okay. and, and that happened even going into high school. So a lot of the friends that I had tended to be, uh, we were living in a uh, sort of like a, a townhouse complex, okay. right? So there was like a little mini community within that that area, right? So it was great because you had a lot of people that you would be hanging out with. So and, and a few of my friends over the years were also living in that area. But mm -hmm. people move and, and, and that kind mm -hmm. of Did stuff. Did your father so. get married while you were living with him again? No. So what he got So he never got married. He got remarried. No, I know that. Yeah. But he waited until you left before he did that. Uh, I'm just trying to think now. Not, 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 not when I left Canada to go to Singapore. No, he got remarried like in the early '80s. But, but I you think weren't living with him. He, I think, I was still living at home because, okay. like, yeah. So I would have been. I'm trying to think what year he got married, remarried. 
I was like maybe 19 or 20. Okay, so, so I was you're pretty much, you're, yeah. you're on your way out. I was on my way out, yeah. You knew that. Yeah, yeah. Did your so. mother get married prior to your sister leaving her? Uh, no. That also waited, happened. That, all, that also, yeah, I don't know if that was a deliberate conscious thing or something like that. My, might, might have been, you know, yeah. so. Um, I'm assuming it would have been, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, she, she actually had uh, a, a pretty long relationship, and the, the man that she eventually uh, married uh, was the man that actually got me into my career in the moving business. So you're close with him? You guys were good friends? Kind of, yeah. I mean, that, that developed over time. So at the beginning, I mean, I don't know how old I would have been. I probably would have been, I mean, I, I, my first summer job, which he helped create, was when I was 15. Okay. So he owned a, a transportation company, like a, they call it a freight forwarding company. So right. not a shipping company, but they, they're a logistics organizer and stuff. And part of the company was a moving section, so where they helped people that were moving overseas, right? So I had a plan uh, one summer to go do some part-time work during my summer. This su was his own business? His own business. What was the name of it? It was called All World Shipping. All World Shipping. Yeah, yeah. And you worked with him? I worked for him, well, yeah, for the company. So I, I had a plan to go work with a, a friend of mine that summer. Like, we didn't even know what we were going to do. Mm -hmm. We just talked about, like, let's go do something to try and make some money. So mow lawns or do this or do that. And, uh, and so my mom mentioned that to him. And he goes, well, th that doesn't sound very secure, right? Like, th there's no fixed amount of money he can make. He goes, how about if Nick goes and works in the warehouse for the summer? So my mom talked to me about it, and I said, yeah, wow, that'd be cool. So that, that's what I did. So the first summer I was uh, working with the warehouse manager, so we would sometimes get on the truck and go to people's houses to go pack boxes and pick up their things and bring them to the warehouse. I helped load and unload containers. I was building big wooden crates to put things inside. And you're 15. I was 15 years old, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I did that for that summer, so that was really, really cool. Sort of gave me the base foundation of understanding what was involved with, with moving. And then the next summer, I actually uh, organized with my high school to finish classes three weeks early so that I could work longer. That oh, so you I, with him. Yeah. Okay. I, so they, you know, so I, I went to, and the warehouse manager changed, so I show up the, the first, I don't know, the first week, I guess, or something like that. And then suddenly the guy, the guy at the at the end of the week, he says, "Well, we're not that busy next week, so you don't need to come in." And I'm like, "What?" And I said, "Like I, I purposely finished school early mm -hmm. so that I could make more money." And I go, mm -hmm. "So I right away I called my mom and I go, I don't know what's going on, but like I'm now now the warehouse says there's no work for me next week, so I go I got to go figure out what to do, so I I go make some money somewhere else, right?" So then he, she mentions that to her husband, and he worked in the office. So they had a separate office and a separate warehouse. So she says, well, he says, what can Nick do? And she says, well, he's a pretty good student, good at math. And he goes, oh, that lady in the accounting department, she's going on holiday for three weeks. So maybe Nick can come into the, where, into the office. So that's what I ended up doing. So the second summer, I basically worked in the accounting department. I was 16 years old, working in the accounting department sure, and yeah. learning all that. Also discovered a lot of mistakes, so sort of like when I was a kid in elementary okay, school. Okay, okay. And uh, and then when that lady came back, then it was like, then they just kept moving me to different departments in the, in the office, and I started to learn a little bit about everything else. And then the, the following summer, then because I had that experience, I got to go back into the office again. So, mm -hmm. so I finished the first year of university in uh, end of April, 
80, and then I worked till December to make enough money to hopefully go travel. And he's giving you good money. He's paying you pretty well. I was getting paid pretty good, yeah. yeah. Not not as much as maybe I could have made at the time, but eventually we'll get to that that, okay, that, right. that, that turning point in my life right, because right. That, that explains why I didn't go back to university. So I um, took seven months off, worked, got some money, went traveling with my friend to Australia. We were there for five months, so that was... Uh, what made, made you want to do this? Uh, quite a few of our mutual friends, so like his brother and other people we knew had taken time off to go travel either right after high school or taken a break at university or after they finished their, their degree. So just something to, to okay. try and experience the world. Now, 19? So I would have been, we left at Christmas of 81, so I would have been 19 at the 19, time. Okay. Yeah, so... So five years, so that was first time living away from first home. Time leaving. Le well, did you guys travel a lot? That's another thing too. When you were yeah. younger, did you guys ever travel anywhere? My family. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you know, well, so like when, 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 when the when the when the family was together, I know, like in the summertime, we would get in the car and we actually made multiple trips up and down the West Coast. So we went all the way down as far as California. So okay. that was really cool. Oh, I remember okay. that. Really, really well. Uh, some cool experiences. Uh, and had you ever left the, con the continent? Had you ever left? The so I did. We did that because of the fact that we had family in Holland. Like that's where all of our our relatives are so from. Because of my age, parents. What age did you so I mean, I probably visited Holland. I, I think shortly after I was born. So like you know, you a, a year old or something. And then probably when I was yeah. like. I, I don't remember yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I remember the first big trip that we probably made over as a family was probably when I was like maybe 10. Okay. And we were over there for like probably so about, a, about, a, about a month. Right. Yeah, Canada. I mean Canada, I'm Canada. sorry, outside yeah. America. So you've been outside yeah. America. I, I know America. you constantly yeah. mix me up with, with, with <laughs> no, yourself. <laughs> which reminds me of another funny story, right? When you, I remember you... you this is in the early years when we knew each other, probably before you became okay. president, president of, yeah. uh, of TAC. Okay. Um, but but I, I guess you saw me getting involved here in, in the committees and stuff like right. that. And so it, actually, originally when I joined TAC, I, I, without knowing the rules, I thought I could join the board right away because I'd been on the board of governors at the American Club in Singapore. So I actually had two years of doing That's that. So, I, thought, so I wasn't like, oh, that I'm so it's arrogant that right. I could join the board. but. But then when I inquired, and they go, well, no, you, you know, you have to like be on a committee, and da, da da da. And I go, so for an average expat, I go, like that's only here three years. I go, they will never be able to get on the board. <laughs> that's right, that's and right. they go, we well, we were we were talking one day, and I guess you saw my um, I don't know leadership potential or something like that. So you said, you know, yeah, just you know, keep going on the membership committee, and you, maybe you were on the membership committee with me at the time. Mm -hmm. Several years later, I became chair. <clears throat> but then you wanted me to, I think it was you that got me to run for the board. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. And, but when we're having this talk before running for, running for the board, you go, yeah, and then you'll do that for a few years, and then you'll be Canadian, and then you can right. run for president. And I go, and I go, nah, I can't do that. And you go, yeah, yeah. Because you're a good person. I think my response at the time made you think that I was uninterested or not committed and stuff like that. You were free. No, no, no. I had to point out. I go, Lance, only Americans can be the president of the club. You were saying that I could become the president. That's right. And then you'll be the president. And then I go, no, I can't. I can't. You thought I was being... 
humble or or that I didn't have enough confidence and I go I can't I go I'm Canadian I'm Canadian yeah yeah yeah. so um, yeah that's interesting after college yeah you in college did you play any sports in school yeah I I I was never a fantastic at any particular sport but I was pretty active so in high school I was on the tennis team my dad was a very good tennis player taught me how to play tennis I never got nearly as good as him but Got, got good enough to get on the team, played on the basketball team, volleyball team. I ended up going back and playing soccer in, in grade 11 and grade 12, even though I hadn't played for years because they needed some more guys. And I go, yeah, I'm sure I could do that, right? So so I was always out and doing stuff. So it was, and it was fun because that was just a, another way of interacting with a bunch of, di- bunch of different guys, right? Mm-hmm. So... Um, so you just spent one year in college and then you... Went, went traveling. Mm-hmm. Came back and because what was the trip like in Australia? What was that about? Just pretty. It was pretty. Uh, I mean, it was an eye opener just because my friend and I had never lived away from home, so it was a big, a big thing. But a lot of the people we knew had gone to Europe, which would have been a more interesting trip. But we wanted to do a working holiday. We arrived at sort of a bad time of the year, and I think that the the global economy had kind of tipped into a recession at the time. So, and him and I on on a, on a working holiday, I go. We were trying to apply for jobs, and just it, it wasn't working. So we just kept burning through our money. And eventually we, you know, because the whole idea was we wanted to stay as long as possible, right? So he wanted to go back to school in the fall term, so he needed to be back by August. But I go, I I was sort of like open-ended, and I sort of thought if if something comes along, I go, I'm prepared to, to, to stay even longer, right? So so we eventually went back. But yeah, we, we never, the, the ultimate goal was we wanted to get to the, the barrier reef, right? And, and, and see all that, but we didn't have enough money. We couldn't get there. And then there's, there's some funny stories along the way, like, you know, when we were in Sydney for like 10 days and we thought, okay, well, we can't get a job, so then let's start making our way because our goal is to get to the Barrier Reef, so head north, right? So, so I think we took a train and then we stayed in this kind of camping area for a while because we brought a tent with us and everything, like, you know, so we were like backpacking. And then I think we spent, uh, I don't know, four or five days at this camping ground, got to know a lot of the families that were there. We were the only ones in the tent. Everybody else had like a like a little mobile home or a caravan or something like that, and the two Canucks are sitting there, right? So they know about, they know about snakes and other yeah. things out there that can kill you. But, but we caught everybody's attention because we were throwing around an American football okay. one, one, one afternoon, oh, right? And then they go, ah, they must be from really? out of town. Right. <laughs> So anyway, we got to, oh, actually, that was quite a funny story. So we, somebody came over and, uh, and saw us, and we were chatting, stuff like that. And then we went and like hung out in our tent for a little while. And then somebody came over and, and, and uh, said, hey, like, uh, you know, the family would like to invite you guys over for tea tonight. And we go, oh, wow, that'd be great. And I go, so, like, what time? And I go, ah, like, seven. So, uh, so my friend and I, not understanding that, Tea in Australia means dinner. Okay, I didn't know we that. thought it. We thought it was drinking tea. Yeah, so yeah, we right. went and got some food at the snack bar that was like nearby and stuff like that. So we, we, we show up at yeah, their caravan. Am I just up? We want we, we show up at their caravan at seven. I can't remember. It was like a young family, I guess. And uh, so they go. Uh, the, the, the 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 father goes. Uh, so can I get you like a, a beer, or a cocktail? And, and I'm thinking, why would we want a beer when we're gonna have like tea? <laughs> right. So you go, yeah, sure, I'll have a beer. 
And then after, as we're finishing our beer, they go, okay, and they move us into the next room and the, the dining table's like, all the, the table's like all laid out with food and we're like, my buddy and I look at each other and go, what? <laughs> so of course, since we were kind of full, we, we ate, but we couldn't eat that much. And then partway through the dinner, the, 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 the wife says, boys don't eat very much for young, for young men. And we go, well, Sorry, the misunderstanding. I go. You, you said tea, so I, I, you know, we had we had dinner before we came over here, and then they realized that they should have explained what tea was. Okay. So yeah. Wow. So anyway, we, we we then moved to the Gold Coast. We ended up spending a couple months there. We both got some part time work there, um, but then we just realized like there's no way. Like we 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 barely have. So we had to go back down to Sydney for the last part of the trip which was about another six weeks and stuff like that. We both got some part-time work there because if we'd gone all the way up north, it would have been even more difficult to get work, mm -hmm. right? So, so it basically turned into just an experience of being two young guys, living away, first time uh, having a roommate. So that was quite an experience as well. And he and I didn't, we knew each other fairly well because we were on the tennis team together and we had a lot of mutual friends and stuff like that. But until you live with somebody, you, really you, do, you don't you don't really know them. But we we I think you know that that probably works out a lot better with guys than it would with gals. So, yeah, yeah. so we we, we, we made it we made it work. Yeah. You had to, you had each other's backs, and <clears throat> so that all went fine. So then uh, fast forward that summer, I started working at the, back at the moving company because I I there was no way I could make enough money over the summer to be able to go back to university in September. And by then, because I was quite independent, I was still living at home, but I wasn't about to ask my dad for, for financial help. It never dawned on me at the time that I could have actually worked part-time. I don't know why I didn't have the presence of mind to think that I could have gone to university and even worked part-time at, at, at that same company, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, so I continued to work with them until the, the following spring, and then I went and registered to go back to school in September. And then I had this, the, the next day, the, the boss calls me in and he says, so like you're going back to school? And I go, yeah, I said, that, that, that's it, right? And he goes, well, why is that? And I go, well, I, I need to build a career. And he goes, you could have a career here. And I said, well, no. And he goes, well, why not? And I said, well, first of all, you don't pay me enough. And I said, you know, I need to go to university, get my degree, hopefully I'll have more qualifications. Is this your husband? No, by then he had actually sold the company, so it was the new owner that was having this this one on one with me. Right. So he said, uh, "So if we offered you more money, would you stay?" And I guess I was doing a good enough job at the time that they that, that he threw that he threw money? that he threw that out on the table, right? So I, I said, "Well, I don't know." And I said, "How much money are we talking about?" He says, "Well, I don't know. What what would you need?" And I said, "Well, I'd, I'd need a lot to not go back to school." He says, well, think about it, right? So then I called my mom and, and talked to her and uh, her husband, not, not, sorry, boyfriend, because they weren't married. Mm -hmm. And uh, so she says, tell him to double your salary. He'll never do it. <clears throat> so I wrote it all out. So base salary, I want a car allowance. I was 21 at the time, car allowance. And then I want a bonus based on the profit for the little department that I was running, right? So put it all in a letter put it on his desk at the end of the, the that day, went home, <clears throat> came in the next morning, he calls me into his office and he says, you're serious? He says, that's what you would, that it would take that. And I go, yeah, if you don't want me to go back and you want me to stay, I go, that's it. No negotiation, he uh, he, <laughs> he said, okay. And you went, would you? Would and I'm, I'm like, what, what? 
Yeah. Did, did you or did you say, you're just kidding? And you looked with the cameras? And well, then I had to call my mom and I said, you said he wouldn't agree to it. And he did. Now what am I supposed to do? Because I go... I, what did you tell him? Hmm? You said I have to wait, wait before... I, 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 I said I wasn't expecting you to agree, to agree to that, right? So then what did you say? You said, well, I won't. Then. I said, no. I said, I need some time to think about it, right? And what did he say? And he said, okay, that's fine. Because I'd already signed up to go back to, to university, right? So then I had the conversation with my, more so with my mom, even though I was living with my dad. And I go, Mom, I said, I'm now going to be getting more money than my friends that are graduating from university. And I go, this seems like a no-brainer. And I go, and I'm only 21. I go, if it doesn't work out in a couple of years, you just go back, go back to school. So that was it. So then, oh, I, she I, said that to you. Or no, you? I said that to, to her. her. And what did yeah. she say? I think she was uh, disappointed that I wasn't going to university, but I think she was also pragmatic about it and going, this. "Hey, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money." And da 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 da. So, so I, I worked for that company for a few more years, but I kept button heads with the owner and the and the partner. Uh, well, you kept on correcting their math problems. No, kind of like that. Actually, actually, that's ironic that you say that, right? Because I go. Even though I was quite young and I had my own department, I, I was somebody that just had a very holistic view of being an employee, and I, and I would keep my eyes open and hear and listen and stuff like that. And there was this time when they were talking about, um, the, they, they, they were organizing containers of products that would come from, from Europe to, to Canada. And they would have various customers' goods in these containers, and it, all shapes and sizes, different things, heavy things, bulky things, and stuff like that. And they realized that recently they were losing money on their containers, right? And and they they couldn't figure out why it was going on. And and and, they, and they were, I was kind of listening, and I and I go, well, it's because you're not loading the containers properly. And they go, well, what do you mean? Like, well, you got heavy cargo and you got bulky cargo. So probably what's happened is they're putting so much heavy cargo in the container at the beginning because that's your important customer. And then the container gets maxed out on the weight. And so even though it's half full, you can't put anything more in there. So they've got to balance the container more properly. And they go, ah, you're right. I was Always. there for a couple of years and my, my department made a lot of money, you know. I remember the lady that was running an export section, she used to come up to me and she goes, how do you make so much money? And I go, well, I, I charge what the market will bear. And she goes, well, how do you decide that? I go, well, there's no trick to it. I go, start high, and if they complain, then you reduce the price, but you don't start low. That's right. Because right? so. it's harder to go up than it is to come down. Correct. Yeah. Well, you, basically, you can't go up. That's right. Yeah. So Vancouver for a company that had moving company operations in quite a few different countries mm -hmm. around the world. So that was pretty exciting. I was starting basically a, a new office at the age of 24 mm -hmm. for a global company. So yeah, very cool. Yeah. So, so then you kept, you kept on advancing from there. Yeah, yeah. You, so, so how many companies did you go, how many moving companies did you go to before you started with Asian Tiger? Uh, so then I stayed with that company that started in 86. That company globally got acquired by a big company called Crown Worldwide, the Red Crown, it's very, very famous. They acquired that company in 89, and then I stayed with them till 93, because I Still got in, in, Van in Vancouver. Vancouver. Yeah, because uh, starting, I guess, around the early 90s, I was sort of getting a little bit restless and sort of going, I've done about as much as I can in the Vancouver market, because it, it's not that big. And I sort of go, I, I'd like to try and go do something else and go live in another country, right? So. 
So I started talking to different companies about that, and that's not such an easy thing to do. But eventually, yeah, I got a phone call one day from uh, a guy that was uh, based in Jakarta and talking to me about moving to Singapore. They'd previously talked to me about going to run their company in the Philippines, and I'd been to the Philippines a couple of times before, and I said, mm, I'm not sure. But there's a network of people. Wait, how do, you, how do they know about you? So, because every year in, our in, in the moving industry, there are conferences, so okay. global conferences where people get together, and I'd been going to these conferences since I was like 20 years old. So you get to meet, you get to meet, you get to meet the people you that you doing? do business with, and the the person that offered me a job was one of my previous uh, customers, gotcha. that company, right? So, age of thirty one, I moved to Singapore, which was a big, big deal. Like first time living away from Canada, and suddenly I went from running a company that was doing like a million dollars in sales to a company that was doing five million in sales, which okay. dramatically big different. Big and 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 we had our own big warehouse and everything, and. Well, it was odd because I, 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 I flew from Vancouver to Singapore to, met, to meet the guy that called me to, to, to offer the, the position, right? And he's paying for all this. And he's paying for it all, right? So I, I, I secretly flew over and, I, and, I, and, and then, of course, because I haven't resigned from my company, right. I, I hope to God nobody finds out right. that, I, that, I, that I'm doing in Singapore. This. Like, what, what's going on, right? So, but I, I, I remember after it all kind of was agreed. And I go that the guy didn't really interview me, like to talk to me about like the the, right, the business and you know here's our budget and you know and what decided, do you right. he'd already decided. And I, I thought, apart from like drinking together and having some dinners and talking businesses, partners, I go you really don't know anything. Yes, he did about me, but I guess he did. He the had a good enough con This is with my faded memory, so I go maybe there was enough. Q and A during the time that we were talking Could that be. I that I and and I, and I was nervous too, right? You know, I'm I'm sitting there going, wow, this is the big league. Like this is like a, a this is this was the chance of a lifetime for me at that point in time, right? I remember before the just after I finished the phone call, and I hung it up, and, and just from hearing what the guy had said to me, and I go, I feel like I just won the lottery. That's exactly how I felt. But what, but what did you plan on doing with all of this? I'm just curious. You're 31. Yeah. You're not married. I was married at the time, and, and so that was important because of the fact that that was a big decision for the two of us. Okay. Because uh, my wife had a pretty good job at the time in Vancouver as well, so we had to be pragmatic about this and say that even though this job sounded really attractive, I go, she might not be able to work, or let, right. we have to imagine that she won't be able to work, so whatever I'm going to be getting has to be, be, be similar to the it's two of us, right, right? Which this was the first time that anything like that had ever been presented, that it, like on paper it looked like that, that, that had That's the potential it and it was exciting, be. right? So, um, so anyway, and, that, and then actually it, it's an interesting part of the story because actually for my first wife, this actually ended up being a life-changing moment for her as well, the whole move to Singapore. <clears throat> because when she, she met, uh, we met through uh, university. So even though I wasn't going to university, I'd already developed enough friends at university that even though I was working full-time, those were now my friends because my high school friends were kind of like gotten done, done and dusted kind of thing, mm -hmm. right? She graduated with a teaching degree, but at the time when she graduated, she could not get a job as a teacher. Okay. Uh, oh, sorry. She did get one offer to go be a teacher, but it was meant being like way up north. So then that turned into a relationship 
defining moment of like, well, what are we going to do? And I, and I go, well, you know, I, I said, well, you just spent years going to school and if that's where the teaching job is and you love being a teacher and you want to go there, I said, I'm not going to tell you not to go. And of course, that's the last thing that a woman wants to hear is I go, so sort of like she, she heard that as, so you want me to go? Like, leave, please go, right? But it wasn't that, right? So, so then fast forward, we get to Singapore, and I'm, I'm working, and, and, uh, and she said, well, what am I going to do? Because she'd gotten a job in the, in the private sector doing um, marketing and stuff like that and done very, very well for herself. And I said, well, you could go do that. I mean, there's, it's a big city and lots of different companies. So just go talk to a, a recruiter or something like that and start putting. Or there's all these foreign schools here. I said, maybe you could get a job working as a teacher. And he says, well, that's never going to happen. She goes, I, I graduated like five years ago, and I, I haven't been a teacher since, or I haven't been a teacher. And I go, well, the worst thing that'll happen is you call them all, and they all say no. But she ended up getting a teaching job there, and she never looked back. So she actually, from the time that we moved to Singapore, she uh, she got to live out her dream of being a teacher. So me sitting with a fellow named Ray De Silva, who was like a senior vice president of the, of the Crown Group at the time, and the owner of the company, Jim Thompson, who started the company from scratch, the origins of that company in Japan. So kind of kind of ironic. And so we're sitting there, and he, and of course he knew just from being my competitor for the four years that I was rocking that company, right? And so he says, "But what happened?" And I said. I have no idea. I said, I obviously pushed his button or said something wrong. And I said, go ask Jim, because the guy that fired me was actually a senior employee of Crown way, way back. And at one point in time, he left the company. He was living in Hong Kong and started a rival competitor and took like literally half the staff with him, right? So I'm sitting there thinking, I go, well, if you want to know why I got fired, I go, probably Jim knows better than I would about what makes that guy tick, the guy that, that fired me, right? So, so anyway, so fast forward, back in Vancouver, I'm like looking around, nothing's really happening. And then one day, it's like, the, so we left at the end of 97, back in Vancouver, it's like the summer of 98. And I uh, got a phone call from a, a former competitor in Singapore. I don't even know how he got my number, but somehow he tracked me down. He calls and he goes, uh, so somebody asked me for a recommendation for somebody to be like a country manager in Japan, Tokyo. And you go, would you be interested? I go, yes, definitely. Because I'd actually been to Tokyo a bunch of times before, including in early 97. So before my job ended, I flew from Singapore to come up and visit the office here. And I go, yeah. And I go, and I go who is it? And he goes, ah, I, can't, I can't tell you. I, I'm just going to tell them. Da, da, da. So the, the cool thing about that story is I go, that was my competitor, for, former competitor, had so much respect for me that he didn't hesitate to introduce me to a potential company wow. regarding a job. And then I got a, a character reference then from another former competitor in Singapore during the interview process and stuff like that. And then one of the shareholders of, because it was a startup company here, uh, Asian Tigers, it started at the beginning of 98. So when I arrived in, in October, the company had been going for about 10 months. Okay. But one of the, it was a joint venture. There was a bunch of individual uh, single investors that pooled their money. To, and one of the investors was my biggest competitor in Singapore. Okay. So I just sort of thought, isn't that ironic? The company that I was doing all that hard work for and I get fired summarily 
and everybody else thinks that I'm that good enough that, hey, let's get this guy to go run Japan. So yeah, so then I end up here. So never imagined I would be here that long. So that was a drop the mic moment, huh? It, it was big, right? But the first, the first 12 months, not even 12, the company wasn't set up very well. And uh, the, the, in, the, in, the, in the start of the company, one of those investors um, was based in Europe and they had a, a, a division of their moving company that handled Japanese customers. So Japanese expats moving from Europe back to Japan. And I guess they became so successful that they were sending so much business and using a third party agent here mm -hmm. that eventually they go, we got enough business that we could start our own company there. So they were going to open a company and then this other group of investors that had offices all around Asia but didn't have a setup in, in Tokyo and they also were working with a, a different third party. They also wanted to. So there, these two different groups were thinking of starting offices in Tokyo at the same time and somehow they got to talk and they go, well, then we might as well do it together. So it started as kind of a joint venture. So when, when I start, when I arrived, 90% uh, of the revenue was from the Japanese section, right? And coming in. <clears throat> and because of my, my origins in the business being from the, the very bottom up, like warehousing and operations mm -hmm. and finance and everything. I mean, I, I understand exactly everything, right? right? And the guy that was running the company and helped set it up and stuff like that. No, no, uh, malice meant, right? It was just somebody that was managing something and he didn't understand the full complexity of it, right? So, but when I arrived, I just thought everything was hunky-dory and, and I was coming in basically to now start the non-Japanese business. So going out and dealing with all the foreign community that were here in Singapore. So, so everything I, you know, basically we were cold calling and going and visiting companies and networking like crazy mm -hmm. that first nine months. And we were still losing money, and I go, well, that, that's impossible. Like, how, how could we be losing money? And I, I sort of thought, well, then there's got to be something wrong just operationally with the company. So there was no accounting system, not, not a very good one. So I basically, I, had to, I literally took a whole bunch of, I, I think I, I took three months of files and just went through it and started doing, making spreadsheets and figuring it out. And, and I eventually realized that I go, that the pricing that the guy, running the company had agreed with a contractor that the whole pricing system was uh, heavily weighted in their fare. It, did, it just didn't, it didn't work, right? And we had another vendor that we could have used and when I looked at the prices that they would charge for the same business, it made a massive difference. It was like a $100,000 saving for three months and I reported that all to, to the main shareholder in London. And at the beginning, there was all this pushback because the Japanese guy in London, and because he was the guy that had sent the, the Japanese guy to run the company here, of course he's defending this guy. And I go, look, I go, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to pick a fight here. I said, I'm giving you the black and white figures. I go, I'm not making this up. I said, I'm just saying simple math that if we move to this sort of a pricing system, which maybe we could do that with the current vendor if they would agree to it, right? So. So it was really awkward. So they, that the the guy that was sort well, he was running the company, and nobody had told the guy when I got 
into Japan that I was now the actual head of the company. So he thought that he and he I were kind of kind of equal, or he was a little bit above me, or whatever. Right. So, but that that's sort of when he realized that <laughs> no, no, Nick's actually in charge. So he he felt like he'd lost so much face. So he he ended up leaving Japan, and he ended up getting transferred to their office in wow. uh, in Paris. So, so but that 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 whole. Uh, Episode created so much stress that because that took like several months and back and forth and 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 then I'm getting like uh, sort of assassinated not assassinated but like character assassination like like questioning my motives right, and what yeah, am yeah, I yeah, doing yeah, and disrespecting and done, right. I'm, I'm just like you know what I I, I don't need this right. right but my wife had already started working as a teacher here right because we actually moved together here so we mm -hmm. we. Went back to Vancouver, then this job came up in Tokyo, so we ended up coming here together. Okay. And then it was a year after we came to Tokyo that we finally split, split. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, yeah, so then that, that summer, like, I was just, like, stressed out. I'm just like, wow, really? I go, I, I don't need this, like, to have a fight. No, this, this is all before the Japanese guy left and everything, right? But the good, so finally they said, okay. So then we went to talk to their contractor. We redid the contract and da, 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 And then suddenly we were making money. So we yes, went yes. And, and all that we did was just change the vendor relationship, right? So, uh, so that was cool. And then we grew real quick, but kind of under the radar because we, we had our main competitors at the time was my previous company, Global and Red Crown, like, and they'd both been in the market here for like, I don't know, 20 years. So I mean, we were, we were the new kid on the block. Um, about a, a year after I got here, another competitor that was more of a Japanese company, but they had a lot of um, uh, global partners that were supporting them because they didn't want to work with either of the other two guys. And when they, they went bankrupt, so suddenly we got this big rush of business that came in. Mm. So that would have been 2000. And so we were growing so quick that I was hiring people before I kind of needed them because I didn't want to be late, right? Yeah. And then bam, 9-11. Knocked <laughs> <laughs> right in the socks. Yeah, so yeah. nobody wanted to get on a plane, let alone move to another country. So business just kind of, not grinded to a halt, but it, it, it dropped like, 30%, so bam, and suddenly I've got an overhead that was, I was hiring ahead of the curve. Right. So, I, so I, suddenly I'm overweight, right? And, and then the Japanese section wasn't doing as well, and I, it was like a perfect storm, and I'm like, wow, what are we gonna do? So the, the one and only time in the whole 20 years that I worked with the company where I actually had to fire some people, I had to retrench some, mm -hmm. some people, so and that, was, that was not a great uh, situation. Right around that same time, we had already committed to the idea of opening an office in Osaka because we um, we thought that that would be a good opportunity. So the timing of opening a new office in Osaka, literally months after the 9/11, was a disaster. Right? right, just because there wasn't enough business right. to support it. How so long did that office last? Two years. Two years. Yeah, which is yeah. probably a year longer than it should have. But it, it was sort of like nobody knew. Nobody knew that the effects of 9/11 were going to linger it's for that long. Yeah. What year did I meet my wife? Current wife. It's 2017. And when, when we first started dating, I just said to her, I said, I, I just need to let you know. I said, at some point in time, I think I need to make a move and go try living somewhere else. I, I loved living here, okay. but life is short too, right? And right. I, I just sort of thought to myself, I, I'd like to change things up a little bit. 
And also, I, I and think... your wife is and, Japanese. And she's yeah. Japanese. Japanese. And I kind of felt like I had done everything that I could with Asian mm-hmm. Tigers. And the company was kind of on autopilot. Okay. You know, I had an awesome team of guys that, that ran the company. And I, I'm there, and I'm, I'm the face of the company. And I'm very involved here at TAC and networking in the community. so much. Phil- yeah, right. Philanthropy, we, philanthropy haven't even, we haven't even talked about. Sure. Philanthropy part. So I was actually having a discussion for the last couple of years with my company about sort of taking a step back, still being involved in overseeing the company, but not necessarily having to be here hands-on and that I would like to live somewhere else. What are you um, doing now anyway, by the way? So I'm, I'm living in Malaysia now, right? right? So, okay. so I, cause I, even though I'm from Canada and even though I like the idea of going and living somewhere else, when I had the, sorry, that's the part I didn't c- continue with. When I first met my wife and we're dating and all that and I started talking about like, at some point in time I want to, I'm gonna leave, so are you cool with that? Because I go, if that's a deal breaker, then we might as well just stop now because then that's not practical, right? And she goes, okay, I, you know, I, I'd be open to that. And she goes, where? And I said, I don't know. And she goes, Canada? I said, no. I said, I, I'm not going to move backwards. I'm going to move on to something else. And if I've got to start my life new somewhere, then we'll start at new, new, not old, new, right? So... So I, I started evaluating different things, and it was actually my wife who ended up deciding that Malaysia, because I hadn't really thought about it. It was sort of on my radar, but then she started talking about it in his English, because I had been thinking a little bit more about Thailand, so it was within Asia, but I didn't want to live in Hong Kong, Philippines, Indonesia, so I was kind of thinking Malaysia or Thailand. And then when she pointed <laughs> obvious uh, about English speaking, and Singapore was a consideration as well, but just the cost of living there was higher. So, um, so yeah, so then that's what it was going to be. I also own a small business here in Japan that I started in 2005 okay. that uh, does like import marketing of consumer products and okay. stuff like that, right? So, fairly do you small run, business. You run there from Malaysia? So I'm, I've, I've kind of like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a 50-50 partner with, uh, my, with Brian, Brian okay. Nelson. Yeah, so we, we started that company together. That's right with the, I think, yeah. The, yeah, there's the, lots I of different products. Different there's products. a lot of different things right. that we've sold over the years. And right. every, every year, every two years, the whole lineup of products that we sell changes because yeah. it's consumer products that right. we sell. But everything is kind of connected to health and wellness. Mm-hmm. So... So at the, at the time, I, I was thinking, well, how am I gonna how am I gonna get into Malaysia? So I was looking at either they had a retirement visa program there, they had this program, but suddenly when when it came out that I had uh, that I was no longer at Asian Tigers, right. I uh, a, a Japanese fellow that owns a Japanese moving company that has offices throughout Southeast Asia says, why don't you come and work for me? And I go, well, what? And he goes, well, you know, because of all your connections, he goes, our core business is moving Japanese expats, but we've got all the scale there, the, the company's all up. So if you could just bring more businesses that, that is not Japanese, he goes, that would be like a great, a great fit. So where are you? So, so you that's the, so that's what I did. So, Can I, you, so what's the name of the company? It's Can called Crown Line. Crown Line. So yeah, so that's a little bit confusing because it's right. so similar to the other the other crown and you're the head of that in Malaysia. I'm not I'm not the head of that in Malaysia so my my role is I, the best way I could describe it is I'm like the group business development manager okay. right so I, I talk to people that I have as business contacts in our industry from all around the world 
and I, you know, they have the ability to pick and choose who they would like to m work with as a partner in Singapore or Tokyo or Indonesia or Malaysia, and I've convinced them to give me some of their business. So that, that's what it's been. So it's, it's actually been quite fun because I go, now I'm not running the, the actual company, uh, but I'm back to doing my root thing because, you know, the early days of running Asian Tigers here, even though I was the manager of the company, but I go, basically, I was a full-time sales guy. I mean, I'm, I'm just running and chasing business because I go, we, we got to get business, right? And the only way we're going to get it is we got to get it from somebody else. Somebody else, right? right. So, so it was exciting, you know? But just an awkward time. We moved to Malaysia at the beginning of March 2020, and that's just before the storm started with everything. So yeah, that's it was right, it was right. tough. So so it, it's been it's going well. It's it's it, it's gone well. So how did you get started with philanthropy? You've been a mover for so long. And yeah. You've known so many different people and so many different organizations. Yeah. What made you get involved with philanthropy? Okay, so actually that's an interesting question, right? So uh, it, it, it's going to sound weird to say this, but the catalyst for my uh, journey to uh, get involved with philanthropy, it was actually spawned by 9-11. So, you know, uh, living in Tokyo, away mm -hmm. from home, big event. I, I remember vividly where I was when, when that all happened, right? I was with some friends and we're watching it on TV and it's like, is this a movie? Like, what's going on, right? And then over the over the the next several weeks and months, you know, like you're living away from, and I'm single at the time, right? And most of my friends are married, and some of them have kids and stuff like that. But I started to realize, I like, go, how incredibly important my friends were here because my friends here were my family. So what I wanted to, what I, I start, I had already been started to think about trying to formalize a group of friends. So I I had been trying to create sort of a a. a, a a social club, so we created a group called Craft, which uh, you know the under underlying principles of it were: we all want to go out and play golf when we can. We're going to have a, a group dinner once a month at a different venue, and we're going to use our dinner uh, experience as a platform to raise money for charity by charging slightly more for the dinner than what the dinners cost, and then that money goes into our charity fund. So we did that. So for the first year, I think we generated about 600,000 yen of, uh, of, of money, but then we, we realized we didn't have an end target of where to give the money. And this was t uh, 2002, and 20 years ago, there just weren't, this is all pre-Vicky's uh, philanthropy and, and uh, other ones and stuff like that. So we eventually, I, I, something landed on my desk about the YMCA and handicapped children. And I go, wow, that's a cool idea, right? So, um, the, sorry, I'll back up. So that when I wrote the sort of the charter, which was just a one-page thing, maybe a little bit too, too much to call it a charter, but I, I sort of said, all of us should be thankful for the lives that we enjoy here in Japan. And I feel as a result of that, that we owe it to the community to give back. So our initial foundation for doing that, I would like to make it the dinner. So instead of us paying 7,000 yen for dinner, we're gonna pay 10, and then the balance goes into this charity fund, right? So we started with that. 
and, and started giving money to the Y. And then a couple of years after, I, th I think a year into doing that, the Y then asked me if somebody from our golf group could be on their board. So Brian got involved on, he was he actually joined the Y on the board before I did. And then not long after that, they asked me if I would also be interested. So then I joined as well. And then very quickly, both Brian and I got much more involved because they had a uh, they had a, a general committee back then, and then they had like a operating committee. So I think both of us got involved in the operating committee quite quickly into it all. And then suddenly, uh, Marco Crivelli suddenly left Japan, and suddenly they tapped me on the shoulder and said, "We'd like you to be the president." Like, whoa, 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 whoa! I go, I, I've just gotten onto this horse. I go, mm -hmm. so, and then it just grew from there, right? I, uh, I, um, the the in the early days of the Y, they used to do uh, letter campaigns where they would write you write letters to people that you know and ask them to make right, a donation. And by then, I was pretty, I, I am very well connected. And I just thought, wow, okay, I, I should be good at this. I go, I know so many people. So I, I wrote, I don't know, a hundred letters or something. Two donations. Two people out of the hundred that I wrote, that I wrote a personal, like a letter letter, not an email, like a physical letter. And and I'm like, wow. And I, so I, I just came back down to earth and I'm sort of like, wow. And I go, so either I don't know those people as well as I do, or people just are that uninterested in philanthropy or whatever. Maybe my letter wasn't compelling enough or whatever. So I thought, well, that doesn't work. So then what am I going to do? So then I came up with the idea. I was very fortunate over all the years I worked with Asian Tigers to have a very nice home, including the second apartment. You came a couple times, I think, to my head. Never came, never came to your apartment. I okay. missed that on okay. there. Okay, okay. But you, did, you yeah. invited me. Yeah. I never yeah. So I, I found out after I moved into my apartment, uh, I moved in in November, whatever year it was, and the following summer, I, I realized that I could see the Jingu Hanabi from my apartment. And I, and, I, and I thought, that's it. Next year I'm gonna have a party and I'm just gonna invite people. And that party continued year after year for, I don't know, I think we had 12 or 13 years, something like that. And that party generated anywhere between a million and two million yen for the night. Because everybody that came paid, paid money to come in. I had some sponsors that were helping to pay, pay for the food and the drinks that, that were purchased to, to it. And uh, so that was great. So, so over the, over the history of, of uh, my friends and me, cause I go, it was my house, but it took a lot of people to pull that, pull that event off. Right. Um, but we donated, I think to the Y over the years, something like 20 million. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Probably more than that. Like we, we, we didn't keep a proper but log. But a different name. Hmm? You didn't use one MCA as the name. The, it was called the FCSC, right? The Foreign Community Supporting Committee, which was sort yes. of a, a satellite group that uh, was connected to the Y. And the YMCA throughout Japan in their different centers, they have programs, educational and uh, summer camps for handicapped children. I thought that that was incredibly cool because I, I, when, when we were looking at different things that we could have donated to, we did consider the Make-A-Wish Foundation and there were a couple other things that were kind of like individual donations to help one person. And, and I just sort of thought, wow, helping people with disabilities and children, let alone. And it's, it's, it's a lifetime disability. It's not a, it's not a medical issue for a short period of time or a, in the case of Make-A-Wish, sad as it is, it's an end of life moment. So you're given a, a child uh, usually a, an end-of-life dream 
mm-hmm. experience and mm-hmm. stuff like that, right? So, so all of us love that. Roland is the head. Uh, oh, he's the head. Yeah, yeah. So okay. they, they they actually kind of rebranded the that 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 it's small called, group up the Up Foundation. Because I, I remember I was a part of it when they yeah. decided to rebrand. Yeah, you know that that was another huge aspect of my life was hosting that party every year because it was like, I don't know, 100 to 130 people every year coming into my home, Mm -hmm. right? So a little bit scary at times, uh, but people were always very respectful and uh, and the neighbors were tolerant, not so much at the beginning, but I finally realized that I needed to explain what was going on so that they just didn't think it was some big hoo-ha. So I wrote a letter in Japanese and I explained what was going on, and then I put on the on the other side. I explained where the money was going and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, and then and then they uh, one of the most humbling experiences I've had in my life, possible apart from becoming a, getting married and, and having a child, was I got um, uh, nominated to uh, to the Japan Philanthropy Association to get some recognition, and they selected me to get an award. That's about 10 years ago. And to this day, I believe I'm the only f- non-Japanese person that's ever been recognized by their association. So the fact that I even got interviewed to talk about what I did and right. how I felt and stuff like that was already like quite an experience. And uh, mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I I don't showboat about what I do about philanthropy because it's right. not necessary. Some, sure. some people do, uh, right. but then that means that they're not doing it for altruistic reasons, right? right? right. So. Um, but yeah, that was a highlight of my life. And but you're not even here now, and you're still coming to that event. Yeah, because that's kind of like you're tied to it for life. And, Ro- and Roland's a friend, and that's if, right, if, if, my, if, yeah. if I, I like helping my friends, if friends mm-hmm. need help, then uh, then I'll be there. So yeah. assuming that they need the help, because we've got that's friends true. that are asking for help that they don't really need or the help don't deserve do. the help. So, I hear, I hear. Yeah. Well, listen, we're going to end on this. Note. Okay. Over the time you lived here in Japan, I like to ask people this question. Okay. Would you consider a good life in Japan? A good life in Japan? Wow. I, I, I guess for me, just because it was such a critically important part of my life. I mean, you, the, you've got the obvious thing of you have to have a, a good home and you have to have a good job and everything else, but because, and that's your foundation. But if you talk about what keeps you here, I, th- I think the reason that I stayed here and that I... F- uh, flourished and I grew was because of my friends. Um, but I also drove that, right? Meaning that I, I helped create that. Now there were people that were involved in my early years here in Japan that were real connectors, right? So there are people that were part of my life and that are still part of my life that actually connected to me to the early people and stuff like that. But most of my friends know me as the person. It's like, don't know almost anybody that knows more people than Nick Bassett. That's right. You know, right. So, and it's um, done more for people too. Yeah. Through your moving company and stuff, you've talked yeah. about so many people. So, so I, I, I would say that if it wasn't for having that, it would have been a harder time being here, you know, um, because I was single for a lot of those years. And now, I, I wasn't uh, scared of moving to a new country because I'd done that before. I lived in Singapore and I lived here and everything else. But moving to a new country during a period of COVID where everybody's wearing a mask, damn, it's hard to be, make friends. 
But I'm trying because we we get in the ele- get in the elevator and nobody says anything. But I go, how are, I go, how are you? You don't want to call. How you doing? Yeah. You sure don't want to call. But I'm I'm I I I find myself probably for every one person that might ask say hello to me, I'm probably doing 10x, right? But 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 it's been a, it's been a quiet first two years in Malaysia. So, wow. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, and then. There's so many things about Japan, and I, and I go, and, and there's mixed feelings, but fortunately because my wife is Japanese and Malaysia is not the other side of the world, it's only a seven-hour flight, we're fortunate enough that we're going to be able to maintain our connections here and, and have intact as a place that I can exactly. come back and visit. I kept my, yeah, so I'm a life man, member. Yeah, so that's, uh, yeah. Well, Nick, I want to thank you so much. Hey, good to see you. Taking the time. Yeah. This has been a fantastic and interesting talk, and I really so happy and pleased that you decided to do it because you were giving me a little hard time at the beginning. Well, I was just trying to think. I go, what am I going to talk about? And then I go, oh, I got, I got, I got a lot of stuff I could talk about. I want to thank all of you for watching this podcast. Make sure you press like and subscribe. And remember, it's all on loan, so continue to reach for the stars because you're too blessed to be stressed.